Thank you for listening to our Emmanuel Baptist Church podcast sermon series by Pastor Sean Cole. Emmanuel exists to display God's glory, declare God's gospel, and to disciple for God's great commission. If you have any questions about this message or would like more information about our church, you can visit our website at www.ebc-online.org. Now here's Pastor Sean. I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 5. Luke chapter 5. I know you're probably tired of hearing about COVID-19, as it seems to be that's what everybody's talking about. It's the topic everywhere, but I want us to think about Another deadly disease that we don't talk a lot about in America because it really hasn't affected us here. But it has really affected the continent of Africa. And sadly, as Americans, we're so focused on ourselves, we don't think about other places in the world. But in Africa, the Ebola virus has been very deadly on that continent. Ebola. Ebola was first discovered in Africa in 1976. It's highly infectious. It it transmits mainly through bodily fluids, sweat, blood, other types of bodily fluids. It's not so much of an airborne virus as COVID is. Now, the worst Ebola outbreak was pretty recent in African history, in world history. 2013 to 2016, in Western Africa, in the nations of Liberia, Sierra Leone, and Guinea. During that time, there were 28,000 cases with 11,300 deaths. Now think about the mortality rate there. The mortality rate was 50%. 50%. That is huge. So half the people that got it died from it in that outbreak. It spread very quickly through Africa. There were shutdowns. There were quarantines. Uh, definitely you did not want to touch another person, hug another person, shake another person's hand. Basically, a person with Ebola was considered extremely dangerous. As a matter of fact, if you saw a person with Ebola coming towards you, you'd run and want to run in the opposite direction. And so here in America with COVID, we, we face masks, face covering, social distancing. And for the most part, statistics have shown us that COVID really affects those that are elderly those that, are, that have comorbidities. But Ebola affected all ages. It didn't matter the age because it was a highly infectious disease that came through bodily contact. Now, if you got Ebola, here's what would happen to you. you would, you'd experience vomiting. You'd experience diarrhea. You'd experience high fevers. But here's the one thing that Ebola caused, severe bleeding externally. You'd begin just to bleed externally on, on your body. And they, they, they really couldn't control the bleeding. And so you would have to be quarantined. You would have to be separated. It was a miserable existence. Half the people that got Ebola in that outbreak died. And we think of COVID as bad as it is here in America, but Ebola is far more deadly. Now, why do I bring up the Ebola virus this morning? This deadly disease that has plagued Africa. Because I can think of no other equivalent than the ancient disease that you see in the Bible called leprosy. Leprosy. 
Those that suffered from leprosy in the Bible were outcast, they were secluded, they were quarantined, and they were miserable. Those with leprosy. We sang it earlier. Only Jesus can cleanse the leper's spots. So we're in Luke chapter 5. And last week we saw Jesus get out into that boat, that floating pulpit, and he called people to follow him, and Peter left everything, left the nets, left his fishing to follow Jesus. And as we saw, everything that Jesus does here in Luke chapter 4 and 5, the word authority shows up. That's the key word. Jesus taught with authority. He healed with authority. He cast out demons with authority. And we're going to see two healings or two miracles this morning where Jesus also shows authority. Now, at first glance, you can just look at these two miracles at face glance and and be excited about what Jesus does to heal somebody. But we're going to look at that, but we're also going to look at what's the deeper spiritual meaning behind why Jesus does these healings, especially as it exposes the sinful condition of every single person. So let's pick up where we left off last week, Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 12. While he was in one of the cities, there came a man full of leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell on his face and begged him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. And he charged him to tell no one, but go and show yourself to the priest and make an offering for your cleansing as Moses commanded for a proof to them. But now even more, the report about him went abroad and great crowds gathered to hear him and to be healed of their infirmities. But he would withdraw to desolate places and pray. On one of those days, he was teaching. Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise and walk, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And immediately he rose up before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. The point from these two stories, these two accounts, is very simple. The main idea. It's this. Only Jesus is both willing 
and able to forgive all your sins. Only Jesus is both willing and able to forgive all your sins. Now, the first account is of the leper. The second account is of the paralytic, the disabled man. So let's look at the main feature here of the account with the leper, and it's simply this. Here's the point about the story of the leper. Jesus loves you at your desperate point of need. Jesus loves you at your desperate point of need. We're going to see that in the leper. So, verse 12. Jesus was in one of the cities. There was a man full of leprosy. Now, Luke's a doctor. Luke describes the man as being full of leprosy. He probably had a pretty extreme case of leprosy. He was probably grotesque to look at. He was probably suffering very greatly. He may have even been disfigured. We don't really know. But let me explain to you what leprosy was in Jesus' day. Obviously, it's a skin condition that's very, very painful. What it does is bacteria goes to your nerve endings, which causes some of your digits to actually fall off. It can cause um, really bad um, problems with your scalp. Just a miserable experience of physical pain from leprosy. And leprosy not only was a physical ailment, but it was something that didn't just need to be healed of. You needed to be cleansed of leprosy. If you had leprosy, you were not permitted to participate in the life of Israel. You couldn't go to the synagogue. You couldn't go into a home. You couldn't go even into a city. You had to stand at a distance and be quarantined, live outside the camp in these leper colonies. And oftentimes in Jesus' day, people were very judgmental towards lepers because they thought wrongly that if you were a leper, it was because God was punishing you. So you were under divine punishment. So not only are you physically suffering, you're socially outcast, you're religiously outcast, and you are also hated because they think that you're under God's judgment. Leprosy had to be cleansed. Now, if you came in contact with another person, you had to stand 50 paces away from them, and you had to cover your mouth, and you had to yell out as loud as you could, Unclean! Got your attention, didn't I? Unclean. You had to announce to somebody that you were a leper so they did not come into close contact with you. We see this in Leviticus 13, 45-46. It's the Old Testament law about leprosy. The leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose, and he shall cover his upper lip and cry out, Unclean! Unclean! He shall remain unclean as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. And what do you find out from verse 12? When he was in one of the cities... There came a man full of leprosy. What does the leper do? I find it very interesting. The leper breaks all social conventions and goes into the city. He's not really supposed to, but he sees something in Jesus. And he goes and he desperately wants Jesus to heal him. And notice what he says there. 
he falls at Jesus' face and begs him, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. Now, he doesn't demand Jesus heal him. He comes with humility. The leper does not question Jesus' authority or power to heal him. That's not the issue. That's not the question. The leper knows Jesus has the authority. The leper knows Jesus has the power. Word has gone around that Jesus is a powerful man with authority. That's not the issue. What's the issue for the leper? Jesus, are you willing to? Are you willing to take a risk and and heal me and cleanse me? Are, Are you willing? How does Jesus heal the man? Does Jesus back up 50 paces and shout out, you're healed? No, he doesn't. Look at verse 13. Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him. Touched the leper. Now I can can picture the crowd going, no, Jesus, don't. Whoa, Jesus, don't, don't, don't touch him. If you touch him, you're going you're gonna to get leprosy. Don't, don't, don't. He did it. He touched the man. He's going to be contaminated. Jesus, don't do it. And Jesus doesn't care. It's the exact opposite. What happens? Does Jesus get contaminated? No, the pure, holy Jesus does not get contaminated. The pure, holy Jesus cleanses the leper, and the leper is cleansed. What does it say right there? Immediately, the leprosy left him. This shows tremendous compassion on the part of Jesus. Jesus said, I'm willing to heal you. I'm willing to heal you. Now, Mark's gospel tells us a little bit more details. In Mark chapter 1, verse 41, the same episode, the same account, Mark's version of it. Mark 1:41 says, moved with pity. He stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will be clean. Moved with pity. Moved with compassion. Jesus doesn't stand at a distance, but he goes and he he touches the man. Shows him tremendous compassion. Meets him at his desperate point of need in that moment. Jesus defied convention. He took the risk of becoming infected himself to love this man at his point of need. You see, everybody else in that society had turned their back on the leper. They walked away from lepers. They turned their back on lepers. They, they avoided lepers. And Jesus does just the opposite. He goes and he touches a leper. Probably the first time that leper has ever had somebody touch them. Think about the, the, the human touch. You know, during COVID, when we had to social distance and we, we couldn't hug or we couldn't talk or shake hands, just that lack of human contact. Here's a man, we don't know how long he'd had leprosy, but maybe he never had a human touch before. And Jesus touches him at his point of need. He heals the leper with compassion. It's a great passage of scripture. Jesus meets this man at his point of need. Jesus loves this man. But is there more going on to the story? Is there something deeper spiritually that we can learn from this healing? You know, leprosy in the Bible was a physical uncleanness, a physical uncleanness. 
But the Bible has a lot to say about sin being a spiritual uncleanness. You see, we're all born with an infection called sin. And it contaminates, contaminates us to the core of our being. We're sinful from head to toe, the Bible says. David says it this way from Psalm 51.5. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. We're, we're all born sinners, even from the point of conception. Isaiah 1.6. From the sole of the foot, even to the head, there's no soundness in it, but bruises and sores and raw wounds, and they're not pressed up or bound up or softened with oil. When Isaiah here talks about them from head to toe being covered with, with bruises and, and sores, he's talking about, he's making a metaphor about spiritual issues, about sin. Because later on in that passage, um, Andy read it as our call to worship. Isaiah 1.18, Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be like wool. There's a term, it's not necessarily in the Bible, but it's a term you need to be familiar with. And maybe you've heard of it, maybe you've not, but it's something that we need to truly understand because this picture of leprosy being a spiritual sickness, a spiritual condition, illustrates something I want to teach you this morning, and that's the idea of, of total depravity. This idea of total depravity. Now, total depravity does not mean that you're as sinful as you could be. But what it means is, is that totally, every part of your person, from your, your mind, your will, your emotions, every, every part of you to the core, to the root of who you are, has been infected with sin, that you are sinful to the core. And the Bible has a lot to say about this. Ecclesiastes 7.20, surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. He never sins. Romans 8, 6-8, For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that's set on the flesh is hostile to God, does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. The, the Bible says if you're in your sinful state, your mind is hostile to God. Your mind is, is it against God. You're an enemy of God. Ephesians 2, 1-3, You were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that's now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. The Bible teaches that we were spiritually dead. Now, some of you may have seen the quirky British movie, Monty Python's The Holy Grail. If not, let me explain to you a scene from that weird movie. It takes, time, it takes place in the grim Middle Ages, and there's this um, cart master, and he's, he's carrying a bunch of dead bodies on a wagon. And he's going through this British village, and he's saying, Bring out your dead! Bring out your dead! And people are bringing out their dead bodies, and, and we assume he's going to carry these dead bodies off to be buried or burned. And so this man comes up to the cart, and he's got this supposed dead body on his back, and, and he's, the guy's like, bring out your dead! And the guy in the back's like, I'm not dead yet. 
He's like, I'm not dead yet. He's like, you soon will be dead. Stop arguing with me. He's like, but I'm not dead yet. So he wants to take him over to the dead cart, but the guy's not dead yet. And so he goes up to the cart, and the cart master says, well, I'm not really supposed to take a guy that's not dead. This, this, is, this cart's only for dead people. And he says, give him a walk on the head. And so the cart master, not looking, knocks the dead guy on the head, and now he's really dead. Okay, so he's, he's fully dead now. And so he throws him on the cart, and he carts him out, and the guy keeps out there going, bring out your dead, bring out your dead. And you're like, what's the point of all this? Here's the point. Before Christ saved you, were you really dead? Or were you, I'm not dead yet. Were you kind of partially depraved? Or were you totally depraved? Were you spiritually sick? Or were you spiritually dead? The Bible teaches that we were totally spiritually dead before God saved us. Titus 3.3 For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. See, here's the point. Spiritually speaking, we are all spiritual lepers. We're all contaminated with sin. It affects us from head to toe. It makes us unclean spiritually. It has corrupted everything about us. And as a physical leper, you needed to be cleansed of your disease. And what does Jesus do? Jesus meets that man at his point of need and touches him and loves him and heals him and cleanses him. It's a picture of what Jesus does to all of us who are spiritually unclean. What's our greatest need? Why are we so desperate? Because we have a spiritual sickness called sin that's eating us alive from head to toe that makes us spiritually dead, separated from God, and we need to be cleansed. And Jesus alone can cleanse you. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said about this passage of Scripture, about Jesus. When Jesus says, I will be clean, here's what Spurgeon says. The I will of a king may have great power over his kingdom, but the I will of Christ drives death and hell before him, conquers disease, removes despair, and floods the world with mercy. The Lord's I will can put away your leprosy of sin and make you perfectly whole. See, here's the good news. Jesus today stands willing. He's willing to cleanse anybody here today that would confess that they are sinful, that would confess that they are spiritually diseased. He is willing to do that. The way he was willing to heal the leper, he's willing to heal you if you come like the beggar and the leper and you fall before Jesus and you said, if you will, can you cleanse me? The Bible says in 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us, to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So in this first episode of leprosy, 
we see sin as a spiritual condition that infects us, and we see Jesus' willingness to heal. He loved this man at a point of need. He says, I'm willing. It wasn't a question about Jesus' authority. It was more a question of his willingness, and Jesus is willing. He's lovingly standing ready to cleanse anybody who would say to Jesus, I need cleansed. I need forgiveness. He's willing. Now, let's explore the second healing. And this is about the man that was paralyzed. And so what we learn from this episode, this account, is this. What's the main truth of this one? Jesus has authority. Now, now we're moving into authority. Not the, first, the first one was more about Jesus' willingness. This is more about Jesus' power. Jesus has authority to forgive our individual sins committed against him. Okay, two things about sin you need to know. Number one, every single person is born a sinner by nature. It's a condition you're born with. It's a state of being that you're born. You're born in a condition as a nature of being a sinner. And from that condition, from that nature, actually flows actual sins that you commit. So you are a sinner by nature, and you're a sinner by actions that come from that nature. And Jesus here has authority to forgive the individual sins that you commit out of that sinful nature. What did Jesus say in, in Mark 7, 21 through 23? For from within, from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. All these things come from within, and they defile a person. So we are sinners within. It's called total depravity. And that leads us to commit actual sins, plural, the actual sins that we commit. We commit sins because of our nature as sinners, is what the Bible teaches. Now, let's look at this episode here. Now, why did these guys go up on the roof? So, houses back then were flat, and there's probably a staircase leading up to the flat roof where you could go out when it was cool in the evening and kind of cool off. And most of the roofs were flat. They probably had tiles, um, thatch, mud, a bunch of different things there. And so the crowd's huge. Jesus is preaching in this house, and you have one of the most famous stories in all the four Gospels. I used to act this out when I was in Sunday school as a kid. What's the, what's the, what's the ingenious plan these men have? We can't get to Jesus directly because of the crowd. We'll go up on the staircase, we'll go up on the roof, and we'll start tearing apart the tiles and the thatch, and we'll just drop the man down on a mat. That would cause a disturbance. That would cause a commotion. And that's exactly what they do. They drop the man down through the ceiling. Look at verse 18. Behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed. And they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in, because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before them. And when he, as Jesus, saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. It's interesting. What does Jesus say to the man? Your sins are Plural. Your sins are forgiven you. Now, we don't know exactly 
what specific sins Jesus is talking about. He doesn't list the sins that this man's committed, but he just says, your sins, plural, are, commit, are forgiven. Not your sin, that would be your nature, but he says your particular sins are forgiven you. Now, we are accountable to God for the sins that we commit that flow from the sinner that we are by nature. And notice that Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. Now, what would you think Jesus would say to him? You're healed. Pick up your mat and go. That's not what Jesus says to the man. What does Jesus say to the man? Your sins are forgiven. Which means, what's the man's greatest need? Is the, is the man's greatest need to be healed of his paralysis or to have his sins forgiven? His greatest need is to have his sins forgiven. Now, this is blasphemous at that time of day, at that, at that time in, in history, according to the scribes and the Pharisees. These are the religious leaders of the law. The scribes, the Pharisees, the teacher of the law, these are the kind of the, the legalistic leaders of the day. And they're, they're, they're talking, they're getting, kind of getting hot under the collar because they're thinking to themselves, this is blasphemous. Only God can forgive sins. Who does this man think he is to pronounce forgiveness of sins? Even back in the Old Testament on the Day of Atonement, that one day where the high priest would go into the Holy of Holies and he would sacrifice on behalf of the people, the priest could not pronounce forgiveness of sins. He only did it on behalf of God. And even the rabbis of the day believed that when the Messiah showed up, the Messiah would not have authority to forgive sins. Only God himself has the authority to forgive sins. And it's true. Only God has the authority to forgive sins. Who's standing in front of them? God in the flesh. Jesus. Now, Jesus does something to these men. He reads their minds. Verse 22, when Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, why do you question your hearts, in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to rise and walk? Okay, so Jesus traps these two men, or these men, with two questions. Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven or to pick up your, your, your mat and walk? Now, let's say they answer number one. Which is easier to make a pronouncement upon? Which would not have to have any proof? What would be easier? To go up and say your sins are forgiven, you wouldn't have to have any proof that that happened. But what would they be doing if they told this man his sins are forgiven? They would be committing blasphemy, which was penalized by death. Okay. Or they could say pick up your mat and walk, which means what? They had to actually perform the miracle and have proof. So either way, these religious leaders are toast because they're caught in a trap. If they say your sins are forgiven, they're committing blasphemy. If they say pick up your mat and walk, they got to do the healing. And so Jesus says, which one's easier, men? They're silent. And Jesus says, and this is the most important thing there in verse 24, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the man, pick up your mat and walk. Jesus has authority to forgive sins sins because he is the son of man because he is God in the flesh now in both of these situations you have a leper you have a a, a man with paralysis a disabled man and as, as, as bad as leprosy is and as bad as paralysis is 
But what was their greatest, deepest need? To have their sins forgiven. To be cleansed. To be made whole spiritually. Let's think about the spiritual aspect of this man being paralyzed. He's disabled. There's another term I want to teach you. The Bible talks about total depravity, which affects our entire being. But there's also another thing the Bible talks about, and that's called total inability. So not only are we contaminated from head to toe spiritually, but because we are spiritually dead, it renders us unable or incapable of doing any spiritual good on our own to come to faith on our own. We're born spiritually dead. We can't overcome that. We can't do anything spiritually good on our own to come to faith in Christ. We are totally unable to save ourselves. Jeremiah 13, 23. Can the Ethiopian change his skin or the leopard his spots? Then also you, can you do good who are accustomed to doing evil? Okay, here's the question. Can anybody, whether you're an Ethiopian, whatever skin pigmentation you're born with, can you wake up one day and say, I want to change my pigmentation, my melanin. I want to change it. Can anybody do that? No, why can't you change your melanin? Because you're born with it. Can a leopard one day wake up and say, I want to be a tiger today. I don't want to have spots. I want to have stripes. Why can't an Ethiopian change his skin? It's his nature. Why can't a leopard change his spots? It's his nature. Okay, spiritually. Then, can we change from being bad to being good in and of ourselves? No, because it's our nature to do evil. So, we too are spiritually unable to save ourselves. So God must do something to us to bring us to faith. John 8, 34 says this. Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. So here's what the Bible does. The Bible paints a graphic picture of the human condition without Jesus. You're spiritually dead. You're spiritually enslaved. Your mind is hostile to God. You are totally depraved in all of your sin, and you're totally unable to come to faith in Christ unaided without something happening to you. So if you are spiritually dead, if you are enslaved, if this is true, then you can't overcome it by yourself. Something needs to happen to you, and this is where grace comes in. God must do a work of sovereign, irresistible, effectual grace in your life to bring you to life if you're spiritually dead. We call this sovereign regeneration. How does God overcome your sin? How does God overcome all of this? Well, he has to do something deep in your heart to bring you to life. He's got to do something deep in your heart to overcome that deadness, to overcome that depravity, to overcome that enslavement. You can't overcome that yourself. God has to do that in his grace. Listen to what Jesus says in John 6, 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. Nobody can come to Jesus unless the Father does a work of drawing that person to Jesus. 
Paul says it this way in Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. We were dead. God made us alive. You didn't make yourself alive. God made you alive when you were dead. How does the Old Testament describe this? Ezekiel 36, 26 through 27. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. God will do this heart transplant. He'll take out that dead, stony, spiritually dead heart of yours and he'll replace it with a new heart. He'll make you alive. The Father will draw you. The Holy Spirit will make you alive. God will put a new heart in there. And it's all of God. Romans 9, 15 through 16. For he says to Moses, I will have compassion, or I'll have mercy on whom I have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. So then it depends not on human will or exertion, but on God who has mercy. Your coming to faith in Christ does not depend upon any type of work that you do, but upon God who has mercy to make you spiritually alive. So here's the bottom line concerning both of these episodes of healing. Just like the leper was spiritually, or I mean physically unclean from head to toe, every single one of us is spiritually unclean from head to toe. It's called total depravity. And just like the man that was paralyzed could not walk, could not get up, could not come to Jesus physically because he was disabled, you and I are spiritually disabled. We're unable to come to faith. We're unable to do anything spiritual unless God does that work. And Jesus, because he loves us, he stands ready to forgive. He stands willing. He says, I'm willing. And he stands able. He has the authority. So only Jesus, the all-sufficient Savior, the all-compassionate Lord, the one that loves you at your point of need, the one that can overcome any spiritual barriers you have in your life, the one that can totally cleanse you, forgive you, stands ready, willing, and able to forgive you this morning. And he proved it by dying on the cross and rising again the third day. And you can look at this and say, well, that's cool. I'm totally depraved and I'm totally unable. I'm spiritually dead and only Jesus can save me. Okay. How did the crowd respond to these healings? Look at verse 26. And amazement seized them all. And they glorified God. And we're filled with awe and saying, we've seen extraordinary things today. Does that describe you this morning when it comes to your sin and what Jesus has done for you? Can you say in your heart of hearts, I've seen extraordinary things today. I stand in amazement. Let me ask you a question. Are you amazed, and I mean really amazed, 
that the God who created the universe, holy, holy, holy God, has saved you? Are you amazed? Do you ever get stopped dead in your tracks that God would show you grace? That he looked down upon your pitiful life and said, yes, you're unclean. Yes, you're contaminated from head to toe. Yes, you're unworthy. You're actually hellbound. You're hopeless. You're helpless. And you can't get yourself out of that. Only Jesus is ready, willing, and able to rescue you from that. And if he has rescued you from that, when you didn't deserve that, are you amazed? Do you glorify God? Are you filled with awe? Do you stop and say, this is extraordinary. Why would God ever save me? Why would God do that? We've seen Jesus heal a leper. Didn't turn his back on him, but went and touched him. We saw Jesus heal the disabled man. And in both cases, their sins were forgiven. So Jesus, in the Bible, as we saw, was ready, willing, and able to heal these two men. And he's the same Jesus today, who stands ready, willing, and able to save anybody who would be like that leper. What did the leper do? He ran to Jesus, he fell on his face, and he begged him, will you heal me? And that's the only appropriate response any of us can have today. So we fall on our face before Jesus and we beg him, Jesus, will you save me? Are you willing to save me, Jesus? And what do we hear Jesus say? I am willing. I am able. I am ready. I have all authority. And I proved it by dying on the cross and rising again. You can be cleansed. You can be healed. Today, we've seen amazing things. I hope you leave this place joyful for your salvation, amazed at your salvation, in awe of your salvation, because Jesus didn't have to save you, but he did, because he loved you that much. Let me ask you to bow your heads this morning. Lord, there's no way we can save ourselves. We are like spiritual lepers, contaminated from head to toe with hearts that are wicked. We were once spiritually dead. We were enemies of you. We were hostile. We were hopeless. We deserve nothing but hell. But Jesus, you reached down and you rescued us. Just like you touched that leper and healed him, you've reached down and you've touched us with your grace and you've rescued us, you've healed us, you've cleansed us, you've forgiven us. May we be like the beggar, the leper, where he fell down at your feet in worship. And may we be like the crowd that said, we've seen extraordinary things today. We are in awe. We are going to glorify God. And Lord, if there's anybody here today 
in this room that has never had their sins forgiven. They don't know for sure in their heart of hearts if they are accepted by you, Jesus. They don't know if they're going to heaven. They don't know if they have a relationship. Would today be the day that they cry out to you, that they come to you in faith, that they believe in you, they trust in you, Jesus, to forgive them, to cleanse them. And the Bible says that all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Lord, would you cleanse and forgive those today? We love you, Lord. We thank you for these accounts that we see you in action, where you're healing and where you're forgiving sins. And and Lord, we look at these things and it gives us great hope to know that you're the same Christ. You're the risen Christ. You're the loving Christ. You're the all-sufficient Savior. You're the one that stands ready, willing, and able to forgive all who would come in repentance and faith. Would we remember this this week? and go out in the joy of the Lord as our strength. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.